welcome to Fresh Pressed for March 2nd, 2021. My name is Gabe. And my name is Andrew. This is a show about music where we talk about new tunes and smooth grooves. Smooth grooves? Yeah, smooth grooves. Uh, Okay, sure. Yeah, okay. I don't... Did you not like that? What would you prefer I said? You always have so much criticism, but you always be like, what if you just put a Y at the end of the noun that we're doing the theme about every week? That's not good, Gabe. You don't like velvety grooves? No, because that's just the word with a Y at the end of it. Well, I mean, by definition, grooves aren't smooth. That's kind of the whole point. That's nonsense. A gro- One groove can absolutely be smooth. What you're saying is that a bunch of grooves going the wrong, if you go the wrong way across them, is not smooth. But a groove itself can be smooth. Yeah, but there's a bunch of grooves here because they're records, Andrew. And we're going to talk about them individually as we go slowly around and around all inside the groove on the record, which is smooth. I mean, th- no, the record actually, groove, the groove isn't is smooth. bumpy. Okay, That's but, the whole point. I know, but the... But these ones are smooth because they're songs about velvet. Jesus Christ, Gabe. So uh, it's Lou Reed's birthday today as we're releasing this recording. But not when we're... uh, Yeah, it's today. This Tuesday, March 2nd, is Lou Reed's birthday. um, So, you know, Lou Reed, famously from men for the Velvet Underground. So we're doing Velvet Grooves. Yep. There are lots of good songs about velvet, so why not? Sure are. Andrew. Yes. You picked a very specific kind of velvet. I did. Well, thanks for listening to the show, everybody. I always expect more from my segues, but... (laughs) Uh, Yes. This is Black Velvet, um, and it is by Charles Bradley and the Minahan Street Band. Now, what I just said was not exactly true, or it is true. It's complicated. So Charles Bradley was a singer who sort of rose to prominence in his later years, like not until he was in like his 50s in the uh, late 90s. And I believe his debut album was in 2011. So although his voice is, is very soulful and and 60s and 70s sounding he wasn't performing publicly so much at that time now also i mentioned his voice but his voice does not appear on this recording because this track is from the album of the same name that came out in 2018 and it is a uh, a sort of compilation of recordings from the sessions for his other three albums This was released posthumously. He passed away in 2017. This is part of an album of a bunch of covers that he like always did and um, just a bunch of other recordings that were part of the process for his other albums but never came out. And this specific one entitled Black Velvet was one that he never got to cut a vocal track for. So it is just the Minahan Street Band playing the instrumental. I see. I was a little bit confused Mm -hmm. 
So this is like a tribute then in some ways. Like this is the space where Charles Bradley would have been. Yes. Yes. Black Velvet, specifically, the title of the song, is actually a reference to Charles Bradley himself because when he was uh, singing in clubs in the mid-90s in Brooklyn, that was one of the pseudonyms that he, one of the stage names that he used, just like as a singer or specifically as a James Brown impersonator. Oh, that's interesting. I listened to some of his actual vocal stuff, and that makes sense. Yeah, it's incredible. I, I'll probably put in some of his vocals into this podcast so that you can hear how incredible his, his voice is. Uh, Charles Bradley was born in 1948 in Florida. He was raised by his maternal grand grandmother. Then he had sort of a wild life. He saw James Brown perform in 1962, which was a pivotal moment for him. I can imagine it would have been. Yeah, I assume it was for every single person at the Apollo Theater that <laughs> yeah, yeah. evening and every other evening that James Brown performed. But so that that was a big moment for him. But like I said, he didn't start really performing until much later in his life. He ran away from home. He lived on the streets. He lived in Bar Harbor, Maine and trained as a chef. So uh, he he sort of was all over the place. You know, just working odd jobs, playing little shows. Uh, he eventually moved to Brooklyn uh, with his sort of estranged mother. And that's where he started, like, routinely doing those James Brown impersonations and uh, other performances. And then eventually, uh, Gabriel Roth of Daptone Records uh, discovered him, introduced him to the Minahan Street Band, and then they started recording stuff in the 2000s eventually 2011 is when his debut album no time for dreaming came out he had two other albums and then again this is the posthumous sort of compilation tribute album of his archival recordings etc i was born in gainesville florida i traveled far and wide then I moved to Brooklyn, New York. Had hard time, but sometime I hold on. Why is it so hard to make it in a man? Um, let's talk about the Meanahan Street Band. The Meanahan Street Band. The me- the- let's talk about the, the MSB. So wh- where is Meanhan Street? It is in Brooklyn, New York. And is it like a, like a, an important street or is, it, is this just like... This is the street that Thomas Brennick was living on when he founded the band, the Meanhan Street Band. Wow. It sounds like you had an answer prepared for me and everything. <laughs> I did. Um, so they are sort of like a studio players super group kind of thing it's a bunch of instrumentalists of 
who play in a bunch of other bands and this is sort of their like all of their side project thing like there's members of the dap kings in there there's members of antibalas in there there's like session players who play in all kinds of funk and jazz and soul and uh afrobeat like groups and and band members and so they have played a lot of like session stuff with other musicians as a unit and they've also released a couple albums including the exciting sounds of minahan street band released february 26th 2021 oh they just put out an album this week they put out an album this week hmm i didn't listen to it didn't did not i missed that one I didn't know about it until I was reading about them for because of my theme pick. And then I listened to it, and it's great. Um, there is actually the last track on this album is entitled There Was a Man. And it is dedicated to Charles Bradley. Um, because they worked with him for his entire, his entire recording career. Um, they were really close with him. So his his death which i don't think i said he he died of of cancer in 2017 was was very difficult for them um especially for brennick who is the sort of founder and lead member of the band he said i took charles death so hard i was extremely depressed for a couple years i didn't really know for a while what was happening because i was so shook by the loss it was hard to have that chapter of my life be over on their new album that last track there was a man has a little clip of his voice at the very beginning and then uh, is an instrumental track that is that is a, a tribute to him and his memory. Wow. Oh, mama. Ah! sounds like he was obviously a very influential person to both the, the specific band and maybe to the whole organization like the daptone listeners you may not be familiar with the record but you know they've really kind of carried the torch for soul music in like the, over the last decade decade and a half in, uh, in the public consciousness yeah absolutely um and this band really spectacular players mm-hmm. <laughs> Like the amount of talent and coordination that goes with this sound. Oh, we t- I talk about this. I feel like every time we bring music like this, but it's always mind blowing to me. Having like played in these style of ensembles before, it is phenomenally difficult to be this good. Yeah, we've probably. I mean, we've probably literally talked about some of these specific musicians before because I know we've talked about Antibalas on the on the podcast before, and some of them are in that group. So. Yeah, there's there is around surrounding the the Daptone label is like this ecosystem of neo soul slash just like retro soul and funk and jazz and Afrobeat and all connected genres uh, musicians who are all really excellent. I really liked the song itself. I thought there were some lovely little like pieces of it that stood out to me. There's this section where the guitar and like the electric piano organ sound double 
and it's, it creates such an interesting like contrast in timbres. And the song, I don't know if it's if, if the music itself was inspired by Charles Bradley here as well, or but it feels very like deliberate. Yeah, I mean, I think this was intended to be a vocal track for him. They just never got around to doing the vocals for it. I don't know exactly when it was recorded, but I think, yeah, it it is very much inspired by him, by his musical sense and um, intended for him. I, I think this is a really interesting inclusion on an album like this that is sort of like, well, he's gone. We have all these recordings. Let's collect them so that people can hear them. That, you know, happens often with musicians who pass away. You want to you know, release their their demos and all of their alternate takes and stuff. And that's kind of like this, even though he doesn't appear on this track at all, it is, it's like you said before, it's it sort of shows uh, the absence of where, where he should be. Gabe, once again, you have taken the uh, theme and sort of made it gross like you did with the banana peel and chocolate one like two weeks ago. Now, hold on a second. Gross? Yeah. I guess I see that from the name of the song, but there is good justification here. So this is Velvet Gloves and Spit. Gross. By the Canadian band Timber Timber off their record Sincerely Future Pollution. I could not release the inspiration. Okay, so there's a lot to cover right off the bat here, right? Okay. You know first, what I wa- you know what I want to talk about first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get there first. So the the band in question uh is Timber Timber or is it Timber Tambor or what I don't know. I honestly don't know. I tried to find out I spent a while looking at like YouTube videos trying to see if they said their own name anywhere. I looked up Timber Timber pronunciation. So the the spelling, <laughs> yeah, but that's just gonna be like, people asking what it is. Is like yeah. wood timber, and then yeah. the second word is like music timbre, which is spelled T I M B R E, but it's French, so you pronounce it like timbre and not like timber. But also, it's a joke, so maybe it's timber timber. Yeah, also people say it timber, which I don't think is correct, but it's certainly widespread enough that it doesn't really matter. I think it should be timber timber because that sounds better. I think maybe it's timber timber. They are at least partly French Canadian, so they would know. Okay, so maybe it's timber timbre. Timbre. Yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah, for sure. Yeah, how's your French these days? My, my... French Canadian is is perfect. That's exactly how they sound in Quebec. Wow, I hope oh boy, I'm just going to offend everybody here. Um oh. Now, this is a band, so we're just going to move on to the actual band. Um mm-hmm. 
So it's fronted by Taylor Kirk, who is sort of just in charge of the writing of the songs. You know, it's one of these ensembles. Is it Taylor or is it Tyler? Uh Uh-oh. Did I fuck it up? No, I don't know. This is a, 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 a misguided timber timber joke. Okay, yeah, it's definitely Taylor. Um, I see. No, that's nice. Terrible joke. Um, didn't land. Uh, it's one of these ensembles where there's sort of one person doing the the bulk of the creative work and then working with other individuals to make that vision a reality. Um, and so the other individuals are Simon... Trottier, Matthew Charbonneau, and Oliver Fairfield. And they are in part based out of Ontario and in part based out of Montreal. This is their fourth album. It didn't get very much play, I think, at the time. Um, I remember it coming out because they'd been on my radar from doing radio work in college. Um, but their earlier stuff from like 2010, 2011, I think 2011, they put out an album that was shortlisted for the Polaris Prize, which is like the major Canadian indie music prize, um, which lost that year promptly to uh, the suburbs by Arcade Fire. So tough competition. <laughs> um, and Andrew, you alluded to this song kind of having a gross name because there's spit in the title of the song. Yeah. Again, the name of the song is Velvet Gloves and Spit. Mm-hmm. Now, the cultured and well-informed listener would understand, Andrew, that that is actually a reference to Neil Diamond's third record from 1968. Um, I guess you're the Philistine here. Yeah, I don't know enough Neil Diamond, so clearly I'm the douche. It's pre-Sweet Caroline, so does it count for anything? Uh, and and uh, this song was the second single off their this 2017 record that Timber Tamer put out, um, which again was titled Sincerely Future Pollution. The whole album is sort of a, a lens at all of the things that are wrong with the world in the 2010s. Um, although this particular song, I think, does not follow that sort of thematic idea of the record. Yeah, this is sort of this is not as depressing as I assume. I didn't listen to the rest of the album, but like I did read the title of the album. This is kind of romantic. Again, I don't think you should put the word spit in in a song if you want it to be sort of romantic, but well, I don't know that this is necessarily the sort of positive romance. No, 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 no. I I mean it, I just don't like the juxtaposition of the velvet gloves and the spit. And I believe the line after that is about like an embrace. Well, okay. So the line is, I recall velvet gloves and spit in your embrace. Yeah. But if you read velvet gloves and spit as being the name of a Neil Diamond album, which I didn't. Yes, I know. No, I know that, but if you still don't. Okay. (laughs) Well, let's say you do. I refuse to do. (laughs) Come on. For the sake of the argument. Uh, you could see that, you know, there's music playing and I remember the touch of you on me and it was glorious, etc. Why not say I recall Neil Diamond's hits and your embrace? Yeah, but maybe we can talk about the lyrics. So um, first, because we're talking about Neil Diamond, I should mention that there is an additional reference to Neil Diamond in this song. Really? Uh, the second verse, the haunted hotel room, the two-bit man-child, 
I could not simply fall asleep next to you every night. Two-Bit Manchild mm-hmm. is the name of a song on Neil Diamond's record, Velvet Gloves and Spit. Oh, wait, I think I know that one. Yeah. Is that the one that goes like, Two-Bit Manchild, da-da-da. Um, so, yeah, Neil Diamond inspired. The haunted hotel room, the two-bit man-child. I could not simply fall asleep next to you every night. Our castle in the sand. This uh, song seems broadly to be about like one of these romances that burned hot and bright but could never last, uh, and reminiscing uh, kind of gloomily about that. But there's a couple of elements of the song, of the music in the song that I loved. First of all, Taylor Kirk's voice is really nice. And it fits the music perfectly. Mm, I do agree with that, yeah. Uh, like, it's got, like, this sort of later night ambiance to it that his <laughs> voice is very mellow and filling, like, this perfect baritone. And I think this this album in general, but also this song in particular, are very inspired by certain sounds of the 80s and, like, the burgeoning electronic music and the combining of that with rock at the time. Like you have these like pad synths that are like sustained and underneath everything, uh, and I think the vocals also help emulate that sort of feel. Uh, and I wanted to point out a specific detail that I loved. It's not necessarily uncommon, but I think it's particularly well done here. There is a fairly prominent bass line in the song, and every bass note is doubled with a kick drum kick. And that's one of those elements of putting together a song like this that I think goes easily unnoticed. Like the extra emphasis from giving a kick on the kick drum underneath the bass line, which really makes the bass line pulse with energy and brings it to the forefront because you're really, uh, you know, pointing it out to the listener. And everything else about the song is sort of flows around this bass, drum, kick drum, and bass, electric bass pairing. Like you have these synths that are swirling around it and like these guitars that are like trickling in and out. And even the vocals kind of hover around like this very core. I mean, there's a reason we call it the rhythm section, but this core element of the song. Anyway, I would call this indeed a smooth groove. Oh, so now it's okay to say smooth groove. Despite the oxymoronic nature. That's not... That's an, of that phrase. Smooth groove makes sense. The touch of your velvet hand upon my face. I recall velvet gloves and spit in your embrace. And I wanted nothing else. Andrew, there was a massive anticipated album that was released this past weekend. Yes. Again, thought you were going to do more with the segue, but you didn't. You just 
said one sentence and threw it to well, me. I was actually trying to come up with a joke and try and point out some, uh, I don't know, like pop album, like Billie Eilish's new album that dropped this weekend. But there, I don't there know Billie of Eilish anything. This no, no, there isn't. That's the problem. Oh. However, there is a new Julian Baker. Okay, yes, there is. Yes, that's correct, Gabe. Yes. Okay, so okay, that's and that was where that sense. Okay, great. <laughs> still, even after we addressed it for the third time, we still just sort of stopped after one sentence. Anyway, uh, yes, I want to talk about Julian Baker. Uh, she just put out her third album entitled Little Oblivions. And the song that I have chosen to talk about today is what else but the final track on the album. It is entitled <laughs> Zip Tie. if you are not familiar is a musician from Tennessee she is part of this sort of we've tried to talk about this like phenomenon before and it's hard it's it's weird like it's not great to lump in just like all women in indie rock of a certain age like that kind of sucks but there's a subset of of women in indie rock who are late millennials who I feel like do fit as a group and it's not just because they're they're women in the and it's not just because they're indie rock and it's not just because they're all in their mid to late 20s they these are not they're not making the same music and the music is distinct but there's something about particularly this these three musicians who did band up and make an album together <laughs> yes just Julian Baker Phoebe Bridgers and Lucy Dacus who put out the boy genius album that really resonates, I think, very specifically for like a three to four year gap of people that we exist in because they're all our age and they're talking about the same problems we face. I actually think that that is the is the more accurate way to talk about that sort of grouping is that it's not something that is like all these 20 something women are the sad girl indie rockers. It's just that like there is a group of listeners who all love all these same artists, Julian Baker and Phoebe Bridges and Lucy Dacus, but also Mitski and Vagabond and Japanese Breakfast. Like it's it's a bunch of musicians that a certain group of people like, I think is actually a more accurate way of talking about it. All those musicians do happen to be women in their mid to late 20s in indie rock. But what binds them together is less something inherent about them or reductive about them, but something about the fans that they share. I think that's an excellent point. These, this music speaks to very directly towards the emotional state of us yeah. and a number of our friends who are all like dealing with like the, what the fuck do I do with my life and ennui and like struggling with sexuality and God and, and, death and all of these things that come together she's an excellent musician i absolutely love her work both her solo work her boy genius work i 
once drove like two and a half hours to see her perform in a different city in Montana than the city in Montana in which I lived. So we also had to drive back after the show. Although to be fair, I was not the one driving, but that was so that I could have whiskey at the bar. Anyway, that's not important. (laughs) What I'm trying to say is I love Julian Baker. Okay, so this is Little Oblivions, the album. She wanted to do a bigger, like a like a full band kind of sound, more than her sort of solo-y singer-songwriter with some embellishments kind of stuff that she did, especially for Sprained Ankle, which was her first album. But Turn Out the Lights was not as as fully orchestrated as this one is. Zip Tie is... I feel like it's the saddest song maybe just because of how stripped down the instrumentation is it's not really stripped down but it feels the most um cavernous and despairing instrumentation wise i think that's because i'm more used to her you know more simplistically orchestrated stuff so getting to this was was sort of a relief to slightly like push away some of the more produced aspects of this album which i didn't dislike i just this felt like a relief to come back to she wrote this song in part in response to seeing like protests on the news and people restrained with zip ties. Uh, she said, it's such a visceral image of violence to see people put restraints on another human being, on a demonstrator, on a person who is mentally ill, on a person who is just minding their own business. And she said, I had a funny, a dark, funny thought that's like, what if God could go back and be like, y'all aren't going to listen. So that's what that chorus is. Oh, good God, when are you going to call it off? Climb down off the cross and change your mind. Saying, like, at some point, even being a benevolent, omniscient being, you have to look at how people are acting and are treating each other. And at some point, like, when when is how much of of this harm dealt from person to person from human to human is is too much this seeing this for her makes her feel like jesus should not have sacrificed himself on the cross to save the sins of humanity which like okay i'm not christian or particularly religious but that's a really intense feeling if you are yeah like and julian baker you know has talked about it a lot and quite a bit of her music is focused around her relationship with God and religion. And like, that's intense to be like, well, maybe this was, this whole thing was a mistake. I really love about Julian Baker's music is it's it's partially what you were saying at the beginning Gabe is that that she along with uh, many of her peers 
is so adept at expressing feelings and struggles that that her listeners of of similar ages and of all ages and of all backgrounds are dealing with I, I think specifically for her the thing that sets Julian Baker apart for me is that every single word she sings every note that she plays feels like it gets directly to an intense and personal feeling of of despair and loneliness and loss and that sounds bad but hold on i'm turning it around and the way that she can do that so adeptly and make it feel so personal and yet i can listen to it and immediately understand it it feels personal to her but it also feels universal makes me feel less alone in that feeling of loneliness which is sort of paradoxical but i can wallow in those depths and feel understood almost even if even while she's singing about not understanding and not being understood one of the aspects of listening to music is the shared being able to share this experience through art with each other and with the artist and in some ways when you're feeling your lowest and this has always been true for me and i'm positive it's true for you andrew like music is the thing even like really sad music is usually the thing that makes me like feel better yeah and it's part of the reason why like music is so important to us it's more than just beautiful art but it's also like a form of therapy i'm just thinking of that twitter meme that's like men will literally do a podcast episode about julian baker instead of going to therapy (laughs) you can do both listen you can do both. you can and I would argue should do both. <laughs> Tired of collecting my scars. Stories at the parties and bars. Trying to find a reason to fight. Someone's got my head in a zip tie. Uh, Gabe, you found... Uh, a, an album that I had not heard and is super fucking weird. Please tell us about the song that you have. Yeah, so I thought I would really link in the boy genius theme here because this band is named Night Shift. That's the name of a Lucy Dacus song. Yes, thank you, Gabe. I know that. Yeah, it, was for, it wasn't for you. The, the title of this song is Out of Space and it's off their record Zoe. Do you know what I want to talk about first about this? The the diuresis? Yes. Wow. Got it in one. (laughs) There are two dots over the E in Zoe. But not in the album title, Zoe. What? Look again. Hold on. Wait, the, the the dots are over the O. Yeah. What the fuck is that? Huh. I think my brain just saw them as being over the E because that's where they normally are. That's where but they're the, supposed to be. The... That's why you say Zoe and not Zoe. That's what those dots do. So it's Zoe. It's, I don't know what the fuck it is. It's not anything. Well, that's fair because weird album, weird song, but I... 
fucking loved it. It was so good. And it's been stuck in my head all weekend. <laughs> like, I can't get it out of my brain. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so Night Shift is a band out of Glasgow comprised of Aothan Stern, Georgia Harris, who does the clarinet and the vocals, David Campbell, Chris White, and Andrew Doig. Please excuse my Scottish, I guess. Um, this is like sort of their second album full-length thing, but this is their first album with Georgia Harris, who has a pretty distinct and defined sound on this album. Uh, so this really feels like their first full-length release. Because um, when she got involved, right, then you get the clarinet, and you all, she also sings on like most of the songs in the album. So, yeah, important. So the immediate aspect of the song that jumps out is that all of the instruments are out of tune yeah uh which is was very disturbing at first like the guitar is like really detuned (laughs) and uh that's a little bit unsettling uh, especially as a classically trained musician (laughs) you're like oh that's wrong but then the sound of like these detuned guitars, they feel like they make more sense and they become more in tune the more I listen to them. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it like, like in the like when they're just like plunking out at the beginning of the song, I'm like, oh, oh man, and then it sort of clicks with when all the other, the other things start happening in the song. Yeah, they also make some sense in the context of what the song is about, which is um space like like the outer space it the song is titled out of space with um o-u-t-t-a but the whole thing is sort of about like this spacey psychedelic vibe and there are like little weird synths that sound like what ufos sound like that sometimes come and go in the background and you know ufos you hear them all the time no, but like the classical sound of the alien landing. Listen, Andrew, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Do you know this what is rude. About, yes. There's like space noises happening. Yeah. Although, obviously, there's no sound in space. So. Well, it depends on which franchise it is. There's just like the whole song has this kind of herky-jerky rhythm and detuned, like the detuned aspect of it that like throws you slightly off balance. But then it's so catchy. Like the vocals are so catchy. I mean, this is post-punk to to a T as a genre. And as somebody that loves, like, LCD sound system, you can hear some of those influences of, like, really weird rhythmic sounds. And then also, like, it's constantly stuck in my head because it's so good. Clarinet is such an unexpected, delightful contribution to the song and to the album every time it comes on. Like, it feels like the whole soul of the song is in this little clarinet solo that occurs like halfway through. I just think we need, like, we've talked about clarinets on this podcast before. And clarinets sometimes really suck as an instrument, but we need more clarinets in like indie rock. That's how I feel about it. 
major influence on this album seems to have been brian eno i've been known to enjoy some brian eno that's true um i think somewhat in the more minimalist aspects of the the song construction Hmm. but the actual uh creation of the songs was influenced by some of eno's techniques so first of all the the album was created over the course of like the last year in quarantine and the members of the band were like recording parts and composing parts separately and then like sending them around basically. And people would record on top of each other and they constructed pretty much the entire album remotely, which is remarkable and sounds very difficult. And to sort of focus some of the songwriting, they used a Brian Eno invention called oblique strategies. Are you familiar with this, Andrew? The phrase is familiar, so once you start describing it, I'm sure I'll jump in and be like, oh, yes, I knew this. So basically, Brian Eno helped construct what's essentially a deck of cards. Oh, yep, I knew this. (laughs) Yes. There it is. Uh, A deck of cards with phrases on them to help focus a creative process. Uh, He did this along with Peter Schmidt, and I just, I could read some examples I have, like, some of it up. Remove specifics and convert to ambiguities. Take away the elements in order of apparent non-importance. Emphasize repetitions. Do nothing for as long as possible. And so basically you just like draw a card from the deck and then you try and apply that to what you're working on. It's like sex dice, but for art. I'm I'm gonna cut that. Don't worry. No, I'm you should leave that, that in. You gotta nope. cut, you gotta leave. Listen, I know your parents listen to this podcast, but it's funny. You should keep that in. Anyway, the combination of like oh, these oblique strategies with what they call poetic restraint influenced a large chunk of the album, and I think influenced the lyrics here, which I can't really identify very well, but they're repetitive and something that's an, a lovely ambiguity for me is that there is the phrase to open the song is there's no air in outer space but it sort of sounds like there's nowhere in outer space and I don't have a lyric sheet so it actually could be either one and then the end of the song is there's no end to outer space but when I first heard it I thought she was singing there's no wind in outer space and I thought that was an interesting parallel with the there's no air, but also there's no end to outer space and there's no where in outer space. Maybe it's there's no N in outer space? Mm. Like the letter N? That's true. Yeah. I didn't consider that. But there is an R in outer space, so. There's no I in outer space. There's no some other great albums released this past week but there was one that really caught our collective eye yes 
or ear, you might say. You might, you might. You could also just say ears. I don't know that yet. It has to be one collect. Anyway, uh, yes, there's an excellent album that we want to take uh, a couple minutes to talk about individually by the composer and multi-instrumentalist Adrian Young. Uh, it is entitled The American Negro. <laughs> is a 26 track sort of lecture manifesto album collage essay thing it's amazing yeah what an incredible combination of racial politics and art music andrew we've talked about adrian young on this podcast before yeah not individually right but no, he is a like a pretty involved jazz musician, and yeah. he's been running this Jazz Is Dead series. Right. So he did one with uh, Roy Ayers and Ali Shahid Muhammad, who we featured on this podcast last June. Oh, that's why we talked about it. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. But this is solo work from him. Yes, I mean, there's other performers on it, but this is a magnum opus kind of situation. Yeah, so the, the the structure of the album is these interspersed, like, spoken word pieces with jazz. Um, and the spoken word pieces are, I think, things that Young wrote himself. Yeah. America pretends to be blind with complacency and hides behind the shadows of the past. But our past is sanitized through the textbooks creating the illusion that the remnants of racial injustice have perished. Revisionist History 102, 103, 104, 105, 106, 12 of the first 18 presidents were enslavers. Not only is this really, to me it was really interesting from like a, almost like an academic, if you like take a step back and are looking at it from like, oh, look at the art perspective. Yeah. Um. So I want to give credit to like that idea that it's you know the whole album is extremely intellectual and you can super look at it through that lens, but also it's very visceral and the jazz is not like this. It's not like sitting back. No. Um. And the music fits so well with the words. Um. And talking about the exploitation of brown and black bodies in America, and obviously the relationship between like black America and jazz is like foundational to music in this country. Like you could argue that jazz is the most American music. I, I believe I have. Yeah. I mean, we, we probably have before. And, and I think part of that is acknowledging that in many ways, America has been defined by its relationship with like black people in this country. Yeah. With its with its black citizens and non-citizens. Yeah. I I just think that this album does an amazing job of laying forth 
both the verbalized parts of that idea and then also the non-verbalized and artistic parts of that idea. And I think it's a really important record. I want to mention just quickly the other musicians who do appear on this album, although it is, like you said, it is almost entirely Adrian Young. He wrote pretty much all of it and performs almost all of it. Um, There is orchestra in most of the songs. That is, he wrote and orchestrated that, but it's performed by the Linear Labs Orchestra and conducted by Brooke DeRosa. There's also uh, vocals from uh, Lauren Oden, Sam Harmonix, Chester Gregory, and Jasmine Hicks. And also Sam Dew is on the track of the album that I was considering bringing until we decided to just do this as a segment three. Uh, which is light on the horizon. Maybe that's a decent segue to talking about some of the other good albums that came out this week. Sam Dew put out an album this week. Uh, I haven't listened to it yet. I just learned about that when I was looking up who did the vocals on that track. Yeah, it's called Moonlit Fools, and it's a rap record that's awesome. Great. (laughs) I'll leave it at that. It's great. Also, like I said at the beginning... um, the Meanhan Street Band put out an album this week called The Exciting Sounds of Meanhan Street Band. It's really great. Also, they mentioned, sorry, I just want to mention this real quick. In um, an interview about this album, apparently they did a sort of 60s style rendition of the Ghostbusters theme for the new Ghostbusters movie that's coming out this summer. Huh. Which is not set in the 60s, but it's like, it's like the Ghostbuster original Ghostbusters kids, and apparently there's a scene where they find like an old 45 of the like original original Ghostbusters theme, which is from the 60s, and then the the Ray Parker Jr. like iconic one is a cover of that, but this is the one that they recorded now in 2021. For the new movie as the 60s one yeah i can't really pretend to even follow that but sounds fascinating i really liked the record from carpool tunnel titled bloom really all into those pun band names this week huh gabe <laughs> uh it's like indie rock punk things Every time I talk about an album and sound like it's good. I don't know, it's got good bass and stuff. <laughs> I like the beats on it. Um Karima Walker had an album called Waking the Dreaming Body, which is very uh dreamy and also wakey. It's very cool. Speaking of dreamy records, a winged victory for the sullen put out a new record called Invisible Cities. That's like amazing music to have in the background while you're doing anything it's like expansive and beautiful and um but like quiet and dreamy 
It's an album called Completed Songs by Sloping um, that I also enjoyed quite a bit. Um, there's a punk record from Glitterer called Life Is Not a Lesson. That's worth a worth a listen. Worth a listen to Life Is Not a Lesson. <laughs> okay. From our our friends of the pod, not really uh, Sahal Sounds, uh, Wow Wow Collective uh, put out an album called Yaral Sadum. Uh, which was pretty cool. Sort of uh, don't go in there looking for more like desert jazz kind of stuff uh, because it is a little more avant-garde than that, but I still think it was really great. I wanted to point out three singles that really stood out to me this past week. So Shamir, who we should have brought on the podcast last year when he released a record, but no matter, um, put out a cover. put out two records last year? (laughs) Maybe. There's one really good one. Yeah. Uh, he put out uh, a cover of the Billy Eilish song Ocean Eyes that is so good. Holy shit. I was very close to being like, well, maybe I'll just bring this. There was a very cinematic up my alley single from Becca Moncari called Annie. And then probably single of the week was the new Flock of Dimes song from Jen Wozner, who I think, have we talked about Flock of Dimes? We definitely mentioned their EP yes. last year. We definitely have. Yeah. Did I bring a song from it? Maybe. Can't remember. Uh, this single's called Price of Blue. what I miss? You missed the No Name single, which was really, really fucking good. Ooh. There's also an album from Sydney Sprague called Maybe I Will See You at the End of the World. That is gorgeous. So good. Well, that is our show for the week. Some small notes. Uh, I believe we're, there's another Bandcamp Friday this Friday, Andrew. Oh, yes, very much. Oh, wait. I did have one another thing to talk about. Oh. I have one more thing to talk about this week because I went to a show this week, Gabe. And by went to a show <laughs> this week, I mean immediately before recording this podcast, I watched a live stream of Ben Saratan playing Youth Pastoral on Bandcamp. And it was fucking great. Um, this is the first... Bandcamp live stream that I've watched. Um, I know they've been trying to get that going more and more, and there's definitely been artists who I would like to watch, uh, who I have not watched. Uh, and now I greatly regret that because this was super fun. It also worked super well, which I was not expecting. Bandcamp's really cool in that they have like, you know, they have the live stream and the chat, and then they have like the merch table directly below the video stream where there's just like a few like selected pieces of merch that you can buy on the same page, which is very cool. Some people in the chat were complaining that they didn't have um, sort of a, a like a gross bathroom or an overpriced Manhattan available, but you can't replicate everything from the indie concert experience. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was really lovely. Really makes me, miss live music and look forward to a time when i can go do that in person once again (sighs) isn't that the truth and until you can do that you can still support artists on a bandcamp friday where the proceeds from any purchases on bandcamp will go directly to the artist and it's a great way to support um, musicians and all the musicians you love um, in a very concrete way. Yeah, we'll do a tweet thread and Gabe will actually send me his picks this week. Yes. Um, and so to, to read those tweets, you should follow us on Twitter at Fresh Press Pod. 
you've, um, you've necessitated me leaving in the call out directly to you. Now I have yeah, to leave whatever. that in because you segued from it. It's okay. You could leave. Listen, all right. You can also catch all the songs from the show um, on a Spotify playlist that we link in the show notes. We'll be back next Tuesday, March 9th with more tunes and more grooves. But until then, I'm Gabe. I'm Andrew. And you have been listening to Fresh Pressed.